Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Dr. Archie Lovett, Life Sciences Biosafety Scientific Director at SGS. My guest today is a vaccine, gene, and cell therapy biosafety testing expert. Archie graduated with a PhD in molecular microbiology and has been in the industry for the best part of 30 years. During this time, he founded his own CRO, which was then acquired by SGS in 2012, and he's since served on the board as the Scientific Operations Director. He was also voted into the top 100 most influential people in human medicine development and manufacture. Quite the accolade and very topical right now. Hey, Archie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roman. Great to be here. It's nice to hear a, a Glaswegian yeah. accent as well. <laughs> Hopefully you'll understand. <laughs> I, I, I do, I do. I uh, yeah, I've got good. So if you if you go a bit a bit broader, I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah. That I'll think. Yeah, mine's just quite male. <laughs> <laughs> so Archie, I mean, obviously, I've just given a quick intro, and you've got uh, you know an incredibly impressive background. But just for our listeners, it'd be great to just kind of give the give them a little bit of an insight into you know how you got into the sector, yeah. and and just give us an overview of. I suppose what ultimately took you to where you are today at, at SGS. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of started, yeah, in the, I'd say in, in the late teenage years, you know, um, you know, when you don't know what you want to do. And I thought, and I picked up this Glasgow University prospectus, and in it, it said microbiologists, you know, degree BSc honours, you know, you get to do vaccine development, you know, if you graduate with this sort of thing, you know, you can work in the health service, etc. So I thought, you know, I'd always been fascinated by microbes. I got a microscope, you know, from my birthday when I was, you know, really maybe 10 or something. So I thought, well, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, let's go for this. So eventually, I made my way. Eventually, I got into Glasgow Uni and um, I ended up coming out of there with this, uh, you know, immunology, uh, sort of genetics of microbial virulence factors and working out, you know, how microbes cause disease etc and then I thought well you know I'll, I'll, I'll go on and further the education and the PhD and I, and I looked around there's lots of different types of things you can get into so I looked around and there's this there was this uh, place called Medical Sciences Institute in the University of Leicester so I, did, I went I went and applied for that PhD there and it was really to look at um, microbial virulence factors um, you know, streptococcus pneumonia and also a thing called periodontal disease. So I got that PhD, went there and uh, completed that in about 1993. So I had a good background in genetics. Now, University of Leicester was really good because it had previously discovered the DNA fingerprinting in those laboratories. So it had a lot of opportunity for, you know, young uh, post-grads, post-docs, etc. There's a lot of funding there for different projects, a lot of experienced guys there, um, and it attracted a lot of talent. So it was a great learning place um, for that type of thing, you know, molecular biology, genetics, back in the you know the early 90s when it was uh, when that sort of technology was in its infancy. So mm-hmm. when that came to an end, I came back to Glasgow 
uh, got a flat in Glasgow and I joined the uh, cancer, it was a cancer research UK Beatson Institute that's uh, in Glasgow. So I worked there in cancer research for a few years, uh, looking at uh, brain cancer and also tapping into sort of multiple sclerosis and trying to understand, you know, what was uh, involved in the disease pathogenesis of multiple sclerosis. So I started getting a lot of experience in sort of um, genetics of, of, of cancer, which is a different type of disease from infectious disease. So I had a sort of different background there. Then this opportunity came, you know, you finish your postdoc in academia and I always wanted to get in the industry and get into vaccines and stuff. So I got, there was this company uh, in Glasgow called Q1 Biotech, which um, I joined and it was this relatively small company uh, that was started up as a sort of spin out by Professor David Onions in Glasgow University and I joined him and the team there and we essentially built a team there that could and technologies brought new technologies in in the mid nineties that were that we could use to accelerate the testing of novel gene therapies, biologics and vaccine viral vaccines um, and cell therapies. And that that was um, a, a technology called quantitative PCR. Um, and it was really, you know, something that was really new at that time. And because I had a lot of experience in, in the sort of molecular stuff in the University of Leicester, which was cutting edge, you know, we could pretty much get that rolling. And we rolled it into this thing called good manufacturing practice. And then we were able to apply it into um, vaccine testing and other types of novel um, advanced medicines. Uh, uh, so then we, we built that team up and, um, by the time 2000 came, we were doing a lot. We'd, we'd changed the way the regulatory authority looked at tests for these types of advanced medicines using that technology and all these sort of sequencing PCR technology. And then um, we were pretty much doing that as a routine on all new therapies that were coming onto the market. And we were involved in a lot of different things like, um, you know, smallpox vaccine, uh, smallpox threat, when there was a uh, September the 11th a bioterrorism threat and there was H5N1 pandemic threat. Uh, and then, you know, we were involved in a lot of the stockpiling for that as well. And, te- and as well as the bringing on of new medicines like um, novel biologics, which today is, is taken for granted. Um, so that that's how I got into it, that pretty much. <laughs> But very good. And, and uh, you know, what I really love about your backstory there was, uh, I suppose, you, I think you mentioned you got a yeah. microscope or something. But it just uh, shows you the influence you as a parent you <laughs> potentially have. <laughs> and that's why I've got yeah. my uh, my kids with with about a thousand footballs in the house to hopefully yeah. that one of them will turn into a, It's amazing, you know, uh, we passed through a pipette in a puddle when you updated some stuff out of the puddle and looking under the microscope. <laughs> It's so interesting. And then and then if I understand uh, correctly, you then at some point on that journey you started or you were part of founding your own yeah. uh, CRO business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so so what happened is this the, this company Q1 that we worked for, it, it was acquired by you know a bigger uh, American based manufacturing company and contract testing and and it sort of created a there was a from a business side there was a we seen that there was a, a business opportunity because in this type of industry, you know, clients are always looking for a backup um, supplier. So you have a sort of main supplier 
and a backup supplier. Um, and also, we we could move much quicker as a small organisation. So we went about raising um, venture capital money from a company called um, Archangel in Edinburgh, Archangel Informal mm-hmm. Investments, and and we got money from Scottish government, etc. So we we got a you know a good few million and started up this company called Vitrology in two thousand and seven from scratch, pretty much. Um, and we, the, we we hired about 20 people, experts um, in this sort of technology, and we implemented that PCR technology, the sequencing, and also cell-based um, detection assays for uh, viruses that may contaminate uh, biological medicine and vaccine manufacturing processes, and also um, a thing called transmission electron microscopy. So, And then we also done a partnership with a, a, a modern scientific in Edinburgh to allow us to do certain microbiological tests such as sterility and mycoplasma testing. Uh, so together, modern and vitrology sort of entered the market and um, became a head-to-head competitor against the main um, service provider in this in, in this particular industry. At what point? I'm gonna I'm gonna come on to ask you in in a few moments about that. I suppose how it was founding your own company and, and growing it from scratch and I suppose the comparisons versus being in a big organization yeah. <laughs> like SGS. But what was the, when SGS, did SGS come knocking at some point in time and say, hey, you know, we, we want to add you to our portfolio of yeah. services? I presume that there were there was your capability that was of interest to them. Yeah. Yeah. So SGS, you know, they, they, they saw this, the, the, the type of company that we were, the services that we were offering, they saw that, that, that there was a gap in their service offering. And obviously they wanted to build and get into the life science testing industry. And we are, we are pretty much central to that. If you look at what we do here in this site in Glasgow, we, are, we test right along the entire um, manufacturing process of a novel biologic or vaccine from the start of the concept, where it's just proof of concept, an idea, right up to the commercial phase when it's approved um, for all of the population. We do the testing all the way right along that path. So if they could get a company like this, then they were able to capture all different types of biological medicine testings or all different types of clinical trials and into commercial. So it really gave them a good lever in order to continue to expand their life sciences uh, uh, and become a key player in this industry, which they are today. Mm-hmm. And, and and SGS is obviously very well established uh, in the in the the industry now. I mean, I yeah. every single one of our listeners would have been, uh, you know, CPHI, one of the big trade events, and seeing the giant SGS uh, stand yeah. there, and it's a very well respected name in the sector. I have to ask: would it's it's almost ten years on since since the acquisition? Did you expect mm-hmm. to still be here in ten years' time? Um, to be honest, um, I didn't give it a thought um, <laughs> whether I would or wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, when we when you know, SGS came, you know we had there was a there was other companies in the frame too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, the, the beauty about SGS is that the services that we offered here in this site weren't um, in the SGS portfolio, so it gave us the ability and also the way the SGS culture is they give you the ability to grow your business and it's almost like a franchise mm-hmm. where you can 
still do your business plan. You can grow your site and grow your service, and you can, you if you've got good, um, you know, business plan. You know, the OC operational council, Frankie, the CEO, they'll support it and they'll invest if it's good, and and they'll let you grow. And that was one of the beauties of SGS: the fact that we would be novel inside SGS, so there would not be an internal competition, mm-hmm. and they were almost like they gave you the security of working for a big company, plus the actively invested and encouraged you you know entrepreneurs such as the team here to actually grow the business and be successful i was just about to say i mean it's it must have been um a great relief to kind of retain your entrepreneurial spirit all albeit within a big organization because i i I think that's something we see across the industry when bigger players acquire smaller businesses uh they often are swallowed up and it's yeah. uh, you know it's difficult to then see you know that that business kind of loses its yeah difference. and so- that's one of the strengths of SGS. One of the strengths of SGS is that that it allows that to happen. And for, for, to give people a kind of paint a picture, Archie, of where you guys fit in the the SGS uh, kind of portfolio and and specific, I suppose, to pharma and life sciences. I know SGS mm-hmm. do food and, and other sectors as well but how, how do you guys or how does your site fit in that kind of bigger uh, life science picture uh, for SGS? Um, so you know life science services it's sort of it, broadly speaking it's fragmented into two separate arms one of them is um, small molecule and one is biopharmaceuticals or biologics so the small molecule sector you know, it will test your classical type um, paracetamol type things, you know, that your sort of white powder type medicines that come in, in pills and stuff that you would get that's, that's been, a you know, a long time around. Whereas the biologics is the more advanced proteins, you know, the first example being uh, human insulin grown in E. coli in the mid-70s. But, you know, that's grown now. You've got gene therapies, you know, viral vectors, monoclonal antibodies, stem cell therapies, all types of new things. So we sort of fit into this novel advanced medicines, part biologics. Um, and here, because we can test all of them from the, so from, as I've mentioned previously, we from the start of the, the manufacturing process. So when the, the manufacturer makes, for example, a cell bank, which may have, say, for example, the human gene for insulin in it or a novel gene that expresses a, a, a protein, which is a therapeutic. We are right there at the start to test the cells to make sure they're safe, make sure that they're clean and there isn't any contamination and that they are what they say they are. And we test them as they're made in, in the manufacturing process. Then when they grow up, those cells in the big bioreactor to make the manufacturing uh, happen in the actual therapy protein therapy to be purified, we test batches from that bioreactor to make sure that there hasn't been anything introduced during the manufacturing process. And then we test the purified stuff as well. So we test right along that chain of uh, manufacturing. And that's really, you know, where we fit in to that, that, that life science process because we go right across that whole piece from start to fill and finish, testing the fill and, fill and finish product. Yeah. Um, so we, we sort of fan right across the life science and we interact with all the different support and services that, that are around in the biologics um, service. 
of uh, life science. So there's other things like need to be done, like we need to characterize the protein using mass spectrometry and stuff like that. That That's another t- type of service that SGS does. And then there's things like stability testing where once the product's been filled into the the syringes or the or the vials for for the patients, they take a batch of that and they then uh, store it at different temperatures under different conditions, and then they pull it, pull samples out of those those different conditions and temperatures, etc. And they test it to see what the what the stability of it is over you know a range of temperatures, and that's how they can work out things like uh, yeah, it's got a shelf life of one year, and you can store it at four degrees for one year and it's still active. So that type of stuff is called stability study. So we sort of fit around that that so that that's the service and that and that's how we fit in. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I'm desperate to put off asking you the, this question, but you've said the word vaccines a few times already. And so uh, given what's going yeah. on in the world. So I wanted to ask about the speed at which you've seen the vaccines come to market. I mean, for someone like yourself mm-hmm. that spent, you know, the best part of, of three decades in this yeah. sector, I wanted to ask whether or not you ever thought you would see drugs developed that quickly is is is, is kind of part one of my um, question <laughs> and part two be honest, sorry go on. um, I'll let you answer that first yeah to be honest until this i didn't and it was getting faster we it, we knew it was getting faster you know because of the new technologies and you know but to be honest i never thought that something could happen in a year that normally takes five to ten years and you can see how it can be it was done you know, rather than being done sequentially where they would normally, you know, funding would be given for the early phase clinical trial. They would set up the cell bank, they would test, they would put it in there, you know, a thousand people, they would check the results, the data, then they would go to the regulator and they would go to phase two and it would be a sort of sequential step. Whereas with the coronavirus vaccines, it's been done in parallel. Everything has been done where they've manufactured at risk and at massive scale, we've done testing um, on batches as if they were actually commercial batches before it's actually approved by MHRA. So we would a- we had actually implemented a whole system in order to test from the start at accelerated pace, where everything was getting done at once. So it wasn't a sequential; it was much more parallel. Everything was getting done in parallel, and that's why. There hasn't been any shortcuts on the safety because everything was done at once, and there was a there was huge amounts of you know investment given by the government due to the pandemic and the situation. You know, it was pretty much um, massive mm-hmm. funding in order to get to get out of of this situation, and that and that's why it's been able to go. Um, I think just the unlimited funding that it's been given. Mm-hmm. Do Do you think it's do you think, I mean, it's really interesting uh, that what you said about the parallel versus sequential. Yeah. And do you, do you think it then gives us a bit of a blueprint for future drugs in, in the pipeline yeah. and how they can be done? And I, I mean, I absolutely appreciate what yeah. you said there about the funding. I think it's an un, unprecedented amount of funding and that's yeah. probably the issue. But I'm just, yeah, I, I suppose 
one thing I'm seeing in the sector is at the minute is, you know, what is the next few years going to look like? Are the expectations from drug developers now going to be high mm. because they've seen yeah. what's happened? So I really love your, your your perspective on on that. I think yeah, if you look at you know at least two of the things you know if you look at if you look at the Oxford vaccine that was that's been that's been around for a long time. It was used in mares. It's been used in clinical trials of mares and, and also it was used in Ebola mm-hmm. back in 2014-15 in the crisis out in Africa and that technology platform and it, it's been around for a long time and it's been in a lot, a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people over the world. So it was pretty much shown to be safe mm-hmm. um, and that whole platform now get because it's been used and it's gone commercial into the world, into the Western world, all over the world, it's going to be, it's, it's much more accepted. It's a bit like um, 20 years ago, nobody would have accepted the use of molecular biology methods to test biopharmaceuticals for adventitious agents and, and, and viruses of concern, but they would have used classical methods like cell-based assays and electron microscopy, etc. But now molecular biology methods are pretty much standard to, to use. You know, it's just that, that change and sometimes you, you you just need to jump over that hurdle, and and I think this pandemic's allowed that hurdle to be jumped, mm-hmm. and we now have a platforms that that have been into millions of people that could be used to make any vaccine going forward for any pathogen, and also if you look at the RNA things, you know it could be that these things can be used for cancer in the future, cancer treatment, etc. You know, there's, there's lots of different other types of applications. And I think the fact that these technologies, albeit they were new up until a year, they hadn't been manufactured at scale and they hadn't been introduced into millions of people. Mm-hmm. The fact that they have been now gives us that bit of an edge in order to go forward with whole new concepts with those te- types of technology. So the, the, the platforms that have been used and the, yeah. the ones that are being used for the Pfizer or Moderna yeah. platforms, for example, that... Moderna, that, Pfizer, Oxford, yeah. AstraZeneca, yeah, that, that adenoviral messenger RNA type thing, I mean, it really is groundbreaking mm-hmm. that that is now out there and it's in millions of people and that platform is now... About the ability to manufacture at scale is there. So, so like the adoption of that platform, both from a, I suppose, an operational perspective, but the fact that it's safe to go into patients. Does yeah. it, if I've understood correctly, that's then going to give us a, a much safer and quicker platform to develop yeah. more drugs in the future, which is which fantastic. Things, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you no. just change the target. Yeah, you'll just change the target instead of being the spike protein for coronavirus. It could be anything. It could be some other thing, you know, that, that mounts an immune response against a tumour or stops a expression or something, you know, it could be anything. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's funny because it's not something I'd actually necessarily thought about. It's, yeah. it's very exciting for the drug development sector, but also for, from a patient perspective that hopefully you'll yeah. get more drugs. And I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, you strike me as a very humble guy given your, your academic background and your experience and <laughs> Um, I want to ask you about being voted as in, in the top 100 most influential people in human medicine development and manufacture. Can you tell us a bit about that and how horribly uncomfortable I suspect that made you feel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first, first, I think it was 2015, but then there was a second year as well 
that happened, and I can't remember the year. It might have been the uh, year after or the second year after. But you know, I was asked to put together a sort of you know some information about why I should be that, and and I, I sort of looked back twenty years ago and thought, right, what did I do? You know, twenty years ago and stuff, and I sort put all about how we brought the new technologies like PCR and a thing called PERT assay, which is pretty much a PCR assay, but it looks for enzyme activity from retroviruses and the fact that we had done so many novel vaccines and therapies using that technology and got them into the market um, over the years and we pretty much changed the way the regulatory authorities viewed this technology and got them to accept it um, and made products safer, etc., for all, all medicines going forward or biological medicines going forward. So I wrote that up and, and, and I think the judges accepted it and they voted and I was um, overwhelmed by it. But yeah, it was great. It, it was actually, it was recognised that it was um, some, some type of milestone in, in that mm-hmm. particular era. Well, well, back then, good which we knew it was back then, but maybe some people didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good for you and congratulations. Clearly, clearly well deserved. And I wanted to ask you about. I suppose you have had a a really incredible career. If you just look at both from an academic perspective to an entrepreneurial perspective, and also, um, I suppose, being seen as a world expert in your field. In a, in a big global well-respected organization what what do you attribute that success to what what was it maybe something you know as a kid or when you were coming through university that a certain skill set i'm guessing mm. for example curiosity someone like yourself yeah. must be obsessed with new stuff <laughs> but I'd, i mean I'd yeah really i mean molecular i was always in, i was always into you know dna and molecular techniques and stuff plus it the motivation for me in this game, really for the whole three decades, is saving lives and being at that front face, closer to the patient. You know, you know, I worked in the academic doing research and that, and it, it, research is a great job. But see, being at the actual forefront where you're actually, you've got the the novel concept, and you can act, you can really feel that you can make a difference because you take it all the way from the novel concept right into the syringe and into the patients and you see the results on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Maybe not on a daily basis, but say, for instance, I'll see something on the news, you know, and it would have been two years ago that we'll have done that job and tested it all and taken it through and got it, got the client to the certain level of clinical trial. Then you see it on the news, you know, you think, wow, we done that two years ago. Mm-hmm. And now you see the impact. Um, this year, the impact's been a bit more quicker, you know, yeah. with the coronavirus vaccine and that, and you know that type of thing. It's really about saving lives. Seeing that, that's what my main motivation, and that's why I jump out of bed at, at six a.m. every morning. <laughs> good, good for you. And I think there's some uh, lovely things you said there about you know I suppose the value of what you guys do, and, and yeah. often that impact. You know, you, when you're working on projects in in facilities like yours you know one goes out the door and another one comes in and you probably just move on and so it's wonderful yeah. to see see the impact and if, if you could go back and and give the 25 year old Archie some some advice what what would you say to him 
Yeah, I would just say, you know, do do what your heart tells you to do, what you enjoy doing, and what motivates you, mm-hmm. and don't chase the money. Oh, I love that. That's uh, that's one of my favourite things. <laughs> I constantly say, you know, don't chase the yep. money. If it looks too good to be true, it probably, probably yeah. is, you know. Because it's tempting, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, if you do what's what you want to do and what you like doing and what motivates you, the money will come. Yeah, no, no, I, I could not agree more. I'm a big believer in, in that as well. And and how would your how would your best friend describe you in, in three words? <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really don't know, to no, tell you the truth. That's okay. I'm not going <laughs> to put you on the spot or anything like that and it's funny because i said i used the word humble before and that yeah. you know I, I wasn't expecting the artie to say you know inspira- <laughs> inspirational you know yeah. some of the people in here may describe me as something different i'm sure but <laughs> <laughs> that's why i was stunned there you know <laughs> All right, so we've got another five minutes or so or so left. So I wanted to just ask finally about, I suppose, the the broader drug development sector. And we've obviously talked about COVID and the platform technologies. And are there any other kind of shifts or trends that are changing right now? Obviously, you mentioned, I suppose, uh, the viral vector space and that, you know, that becoming, yeah. and I suppose biologic drugs becoming more and more uh, prevalent in the market as well. Any any big shift or trends that you expect to see in the next couple of years, or even even beyond that, into the the next decade or so? Yeah, I think they are going. There is going to be a huge increase in them. You know, I mean, they are expected to grow sixteen percent year on year. You know, the the this that type of thing. You know, novel medicines like the gene therapies and and also this personalised medicine thing where you know there's a lot of things going on now where where you actually can be potentially vaccinated against your own tumour, for example. And th- these are really groundbreaking where they actually remove a piece of the, the, the tumour from the patient and they work out the antigenic profile. And then that, they can create a personalised um, therapy or, or vaccine against that. And that that's really something that, that, that will accelerate. Um, also, just the access to some of these biologic drugs Mm-hmm. to the population as you know we get more manufacturing on stream and, and the, the technology becomes easier to do and, and it becomes at scale then the price of these these types of um, therapies becomes um, much more affordable for the general population and they, they become um, much more wider available mm-hmm. um, across the board essentially very good at that uh, yeah I think yeah that's uh i think what you said there about the accessibility is is key as well yeah. and bringing the price of medicines down i mean yeah well, because well, some of them are astronomical yeah i mean, where, mm-hmm. I, mean obviously yeah. where I am in the u.s as well you, you really see because uh, everything's obviously uh, you've got health insurance or whatever and you see the price yeah. of things and just it's uh, it's really quite quite scary so that would that would be good and and, and, mm-hmm. and what about SGS then what's next on the horizon not not necessarily at a corporate level but even within your facility what uh, if you're able to share yeah our, I mean this facility I mean just the rate of the of the expansion of, of the old biologic sector uh, you know in the the testing uh, sector you know we, we really 
need to expand here again. We're currently 120 people here, two and a half thousand square metres, and we're looking to maybe double and triple that over the next couple of years so that we are aligned uh, with the growth plan SGS because, you know, it's, SGS is very ambitious in growth and, and it does see this area, health sciences, a major, major area in which it wants to invest and grow. So we we are really happy to be part of that and and um, we look forward to, to implementing that here in, in Glasgow and growing the site to meet the demand and keep going and, and, and being at the forefront of the of the healthcare and delivering for the patients. Yeah, and you, you strike me as someone that doesn't want to, uh, you know, hang his white his white coat up anytime soon or anything like oh. that. <laughs> I, I imagine you're going to be hundred and still working at the yeah, the site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> and uh, my final question is: uh, is you, you know, you've you've been in this sector for a long time, and you know, you are at the the forefront of what's happening right now in the sector. It is if there's one change you could make to the industry that would make it better or more efficient or more collaborative or, or whatever, what what would that be? I think, um, I mean, what we've seen with this, this uh, pandemic situation is we saw competitors collaborating to get the job done. And that's why it was manufactured at scale with acceleration. But there was a lot of, People, you know, they thought, well, you know, we're in this situation. We're never going to get out of it unless we do this collaboration. And and you see people collaborating that would never normally have collaborated. I think collaboration is key uh, going forward, um, definitely. No, I, I think that's a, a wonderful point, Ad. You know, it's one of those words that you hear banded about at conferences and, you know, trade mm-hmm. shows. And, I mean, I've been to many over the years where they all talked about collaboration, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. The last year's um, been been the ideal situation. So, uh, yeah. any final comments or requests or or any final things from from you, Archie? Um, I'd just like to say thanks for your time, and um, it's been great on this uh, interview. And I look forward to continuing the success of SGS and also delivering. Hopefully, new technologies, a lot new, lot more new therapies, treating different diseases for many, many years to come. Well, thank you, and the, and the pleasure was all mine. It's been uh, it's been lovely to to speak to you today, and uh, I just uh, you've you've got such a fantastic way about you, and the uh, contribution that you've made not not only to the industry but the the kind of the wider uh, kind of <laughs> drug development is is uh, not to be understated. So, yeah, congratulations on your success. And, uh, yeah, yeah. T- take care and thank you for being here. Yeah, guest. thanks. Thanks, Roman. Thanks, everyone. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, 
raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.